Well, hello everyone. Uh, this is Anne again, and welcome to week four, unit four. I know that this is a bit of a um, bit of a wall that that students hit uh, at this point in time. So I just want to congratulate you on your steadfastness, steadfastness, and ability to um, hang in there, guys. Uh, I also know that for students who are also taking pathophys, uh, that this is also where things kind of ramp up. So just here comes my little gentle reminder that if you do need an extension of one or two or three days on individual assignments, um, please reach out to me and I will be happy to grant that. I do need to know this before the deadline uh, so that I can actually um, extend it. Otherwise, it is um, a little bit more challenging on my end. Uh, um, but it, it certainly is an option. I cannot grant extensions for group work because those are other people and it's an interdependent um, assignment. So uh, just a, a gentle reminder. Um, this unit's uh, kind of theme is all about collaboration and consultation. And I kind of want to introduce um, uh, the concept of tilth. Uh, and tilth is actually an agricultural uh, term. Uh, it really um, it is cultivated land. And what that really means is that the land has been prepared uh, to, um, to grow the crops that are going to be planted in that. Uh, and why I find this concept of tilth related to interprofessional care and collaboration is that um, tilth, like interprofessional care, is nothing really that uh, is measurable in a scientific sort of way. Uh, every farmer knows it. Um, Tilth is something that every farmer can recognize, but no scientist can actually measure, uh, much as is the benefits um, and the strengths of collaboration and interprofessional uh, teamwork and the ability to have a multidisciplinary team focused on the goal, um, uh, which in our case would be enhanced patient care. So just kind of weaving in that concept of um, softer sort of um, metrics that we're so used to looking at measurable, quantifiable metrics that when we're looking at the benefits of interprofessional collaboration, uh, it is just like the farmer looks at soil um, with the concept of tilth. You know, we know when it's good, we know when it's bad, we can't really measure it. So our goal for this unit is really to have a conversation about um, about tilth, honestly, uh, and how we can do that on a professional level in the role of the advanced practice nurse. Uh, so just a couple of updates, uh, and then we'll get into a, a brief lecture. And then I know there's also, because there's group projects this week, a group presentation, uh, there's also um, a fair amount of um, other assignments associated with this. So this lecture will probably be about 40 minutes long or so, guys. I, I don't want to consume your day. Uh, there was uh, a fair amount of confusion uh, amongst the class, and I apologize for any sort of role I had in that uh, in, on a couple of things uh, this week. Um, there, there was a quiz, the quiz two, that should all be graded. Um, your draft questions were actually due March 6th. Those are the draft interview questions. And really that was a sample for me to see if you were heading down the wrong pathway before you invested a lot of time into that. Um, the final interview questions are indeed due March 16th, so that's a 10-day window. Um, they are different uh, assignments, honestly, the first being a sample, 
the second being um, kind of the matrix for which you're going to build your uh, interview off of. Uh, there was a second library assignment that did not have an assessment associated with it in Unit 3. The one prior to that did have an assessment associated with it. You had to go through the, um, uh, the assignment and successfully upload a uh, uh, correct uh, citation. Uh, so if you have not done that, and I think that you individually know if you have not done that, uh, then you do need to submit that because that does get monitored um, uh, at the grad school level because this is really a foundational class, guys, just a reminder. So you need to be able to do a proper citation list. So um, we're trying to check that early so it actually, in theory, gets a little bit easier for you as you go on. If you don't know if you submitted something or not, let me know. I do have a list of people who have not, and it's about a third of our class that has not um, uploaded. Um, but there's no assignment for the uh, other library uh, thing that I posted in Unit 3. Uh, let's see. Um, I feel on my end that the quizzes uh, with me removing that time uh, frame did kind of um, take some time pressures, some time associated pressure off some of the, some of you guys. Uh, really, just a reminder that these quizzes are not a pass fail kind of thing. They're really to enhance your learning and concepts and make sure that you have a, a handle on that. Um, so without further ado, let's get into talking a little bit about uh, interprofessional um, care issues uh, in week four. Uh, I do, um, I started off by saying that what that this is somewhat of an unmeasurable metric, uh, but I do, uh, I do want to kind of remind people that this is actually uh, building upon uh, direct care competency and the use of evidence-based uh, care. Uh, so we do need to still enter into these kind of um, esoteric conversations and, and team exercises, relying on the foundation of what we know to be the best evidence uh, for the pair of the patient. Um, uh, we're all, it's all about, when you talk about interprofessional care, it's all about patient-focused uh, outcomes. Uh, so you could use the analogy from the sports world. That's probably the most common one that's used, and it's the uh, that of a quarterback. Uh, in, I've always viewed uh, nurses as the quarterback for the patient, whether they're in acute care at the bedside or an APN uh, in the exam room with a patient or a, um, um, a conference room with a patient, is that that person, that role, is um, responsible for or essential in the um, rolling out and assembling the team that can best care for that patient. Now, how do, how do nurses do that or how do APNs do that? Uh, in the case of, um, of a uh, psych mental health uh, APN, it may be that you have this multi-dimensional um, both psychiatric and social uh, kind of issue. And so to focus on one realm, these social things need to be addressed. So it may be being cognizant of resources that are available to assist patients. It may be um, knowing the nearest uh, uh, safe house that a person could go to so that they would not need to, to be put in physical jeopardy while they work on their um, mental health uh, well-being. 
uh, at the bedside, an analogy from uh, a bedside nurse is, you know, if you have a patient who uh, is weak and deconditioned and uh, is the elderly caregiver for their elder, equally elderly spouse and they come in with a stroke, uh, right away the nurse brain starts clicking in, uh, you know, that this person needs to be discharged to a uh, place that is safe for them physically, but they also carry with them the spiritual and uh, emotional uh caregiving role for their spouse that they care for and so we worry about that too so not only are we worried about is the patient safe we're worried about is the um the what is important to the patient safe also so it's it's all about marshalling the resources and knowing the resources that are available uh, for you to help with um with me helping your patients achieve their own wellness i mean this and this is different than doing for someone it's it's giving them the tools so that they can be uh, successful. Um, just kind of uh, in the reading in, in the um, Hamrick book, uh, there actually was a very nice schematic, figure 9-1 uh, in our reading on page uh, 218, uh, that actually had this kind of bullseye uh, diagram with uh, pretty clearly... Um, it was a model of professional nurse uh, consultation or advanced practice nurse consultation with right in the middle of the bullseye is the uh, the goal of improving patient outcomes, improving systems, enhancing problem-solving resources, education, and the development of the consultee. Uh, that is um, the uh, person or the, the focus of the consultation. Uh, and when you read around the, the kind of circular um, delineation in that role, Absolutely, all of this uh, is integral to our discussion. There's the um, individual characteristics of the advanced practice nurse. What do they bring to the table? What's their experience? What's their specialty? I mean, I'm in my with my background. I'm not going to be the best person to talk to about OBGYN. Uh, however, I would be a very good person to talk to about uh, hyperlipidemia and hypertension and cardiology uh, concerns. Um, it's all about kind of knowing your phone of friends. You know, I am not uh, facile at psychiatric, but I have friends who do that. I have a um, long-term friend, a professional uh, peer, who is also uh, does primary care as a family practice nurse practitioner, but in a niche population, and that is that of the HIV and transgendered uh, uh, population. So she is doing primary care. She is an FMP. She's within her scope of practice, but she has a very targeted population uh, that she deals with. So when I see someone in my work who perhaps has been on long-term retrovirals, she's my phone-a-friend. When I struggle with the uh, kind of the, the linguistics associated with transgender care uh, so that I'm respectful and mindful of the individual patients, I went to her to say, Dear, my dear friend Lori, please teach me the lingo of how, involved with this so that I don't make anyone uncomfortable in my uh, attempt to care for them. And so it's all about kind of knowing the resources around you. And that is an individual characteristic of the advanced practice nurse. Reflective of that also is the characteristics of the individual patient and family. You know, are they at a point where they're ready to collaborate? Are they at a point where they... Um, even physiologically, if they have the ability to share details of their uh, situation, such as the, their clinical acuity, their uh, medical history, social history, are they in distress? You know, because when someone is in distress, uh, you need to 
to have a fully, to be able to till the soil, right? You need to have a, uh, be able to alleviate some of that distress. So are there, is there a level of anxiety and distress too high to actually have a, a discussion? Uh, and what can you as an advanced practice nurse do to uh, uh, ameliorate that? What are the um, situational factors? Are, does the patient not like your medical assistant for some unknown reason? Not everyone meshes. Is the patient um, agitated due to some kind of outside, of outside of the office kind of situation? You know, politics bring to mind, I can't tell you even in my line of work how often our current political climate enters into the, the patient room. Uh, and they're fixated on that. And and what sort of strategy can you help them, so that we can focus on what the real, the real issue is that they're there for. Um, and what is the urgency of your consultative request? If I have someone who is clearly in, uh, in physiological uh, distress, they need to be intubated because they're not breathing. My urgency for collaboration is with that in the pulmonary realm. You know, let's get them intubated so we can support them. And that buys us a little mental break uh, while we determine physiologically what's going on. What's the same thing uh, in the psych mental health world? If the person is an extremist uh, and is having active suicidal ideations, the first and foremost thing you do is to address those and then kind of unpack the rest of the situation along with it. Um, the characteristics of the consultee actually also makes a difference because you're going to have a um, uh, an interaction that's a little bit different uh, with the person that you're seeking wise counsel from if they're new in the role, if they have expertise that you do not have, and it makes a difference. What is their experience? What is their education? What is their level of concern uh, regarding the distress uh, or the problem? In my example, the pulmonologist, maybe I'm thinking, oh no, you know, my patient's respiratory status is deteriorating to the fact that I need to take over for them. And the pulmonologist, based on their education, expertise, and training, is going to look at this and say, you know, I think I can bridge with BiPAP and we may be able to avoid this. So it's all about listening to what the other people, the consultees that you're asking for wise counsel for, what do they bring to the table? It all ends with um, the the rolling out of the actual consultation and the phases of that. And that is assessment and intervention and evaluation and reassessment. Now, at this point in time, you're thinking, well, Anne, you just spent all that time, John, about um, the nursing process. It is not the nursing process. The interprofessional collaboration and consultative role is much bigger uh, than the individual um, nursing process at the bedside. Are there similarities and uh, I that and characteristics that line up? Absolutely, but it is bigger than that, uh, and it involves reaching outside the discipline of nursing to optimize uh, the care for the patient. So I just don't want you to fall into that trap. It's a common trap, guys. I hear that a lot. Of people say, "Oh, it's a nursing practice." No, no, it's not. You know, got to move on for that. So who was the? Um, quintessential uh, collaborator, uh, if you think about it. Uh, and in my mind, that's Betty Newman, right? I mean, the Newman systems, systems model uh, really kind of breaks down the individual um, components of collaboration. Uh, and she doesn't use those words. She doesn't use those words at all. What she does is she uh, lays it out so that the systems perspective 
supports a recognition of the complex whole while valuing the support of of the the support of the eight parts of the uh, I mean sorry, uh, the parts of the role, much less um, collaboration uh, interprofessionally should really uh, support the recognition of the complexity of the individual patient or the process that you're trying to um, uh, address versus the individual supporting tenants of that. Uh, you do it every day. Uh, if you work uh, in a an acute care environment or a skilled nursing environment or a clinic environment, uh, you do this every day. You uh, walk in and you say, here, I have identified this patient problem and what do I need to do to make sure that a, it doesn't happen again, and B, it successfully meets the needs of our patients. So you do really kind of pull in, if you're in an office, you're going to pull in your office support staff, you're going to pull in your billing and um, uh, coding people, you're going to pull in uh, your collaborators that you work with and say, look at this problem, whatever it is on the table, and what part of this problem pie, like a cut up a piece of pie, can you positively affect so that it works out better? I'll give you a recent example from my um, my current uh, uh, life is that, and, and you, I'll remind you, I work in a cardiac surgery uh, department and patients come to us as an outpatient. They come to us in many different ways, but when someone comes to us as an outpatient, they're usually in a fair amount of distress because they did not plan to have their uh, ascending aorta repaired. Um, they've been usually just told that within a week or so. Uh, and they come to our office with their family member, and they're really focused on, what do I have to do to fix this? Uh, and they're scared. And so we see them in consultation. We review the films. We decide that uh, this, whatever the treatment plan is, we're going to replace your ascending aorta. Uh, and the patient, after discussion, uh, gives informed consent. That's just the start of of our role um, and so what we needed to do is find out how do we get that person from that exam room through admission to the hospital through the ICU through the intermediate care to home and back to their life because that's the goal that's why that person came to us is to fix their acute problem to get them back to their goal so we needed to make sure that everything lined up to support the patient in that and we found a couple stumbles when we looked at this from a process standpoint uh, first one was the, the PAT realm. You know, if someone's coming to us uh, in distress, their level of retention is not very high. So even though we write it down, uh, it, it may not make sense. So we needed to make sure that everyone had the same message. So that involved bringing the people from the pre-admission testing uh, area to the table for a, a conversation about what do you need from our end so that you don't have questions, so that patients don't pick up on uncertainty when they're dealing with your department, which increases their distress. Uh, um, patients also have concern about finance. So let's see what we can do from a, from a financial counseling standpoint pre-op so that they're not focused on that uh, during their uh, perioperative phase. Uh, we also like to walk them through the cardiac rehab phase because they're going to know them and see them uh, for eight to 10 weeks after surgery. Like to let them know that physical therapy and occupational therapy is going to see them in-house not because we feel that they have some physical issues, but we want them to have physical success. Uh, we also let them know that respiratory therapy is going to be integral to their success and how important pulmonary toilet is uh, to uh, success in the postoperative period. We can also talk about resources that can help them uh, control some of their um, 
physiological recovery. Uh, uh, we can give them smoking cessation. We can ask to review their, their sugar log if they're diabetic uh, and see where we can make tweaks. Uh, we give them some nutritional component if, what, if the surgery we're proposing is going to have a, a pretty large negative effect on their uh, ability to eat for a while. We want to kind of beef them up. Uh, dialing it down even closer to a patient who perhaps uh, has some um, personal beliefs that are not necessarily congruent with mainstream uh, medicine, we want to address those uh, preoperative also so that they're not worried about it and so that they have trust in us as their chosen provider as to what we're going to do. And an example of that would be the Jehovah Witness uh, who does not accept blood products as part of their own personal value system. Uh, and that's kind of an issue that we need to have a frank discussion about, you know, as a surgical service, you know, we're going to be doing surgery on blood vessels, you know, and so let's drill down because each, uh, uh, each person has kind of their own definition of what is uh, considered a blood product. Is it albumin considered a blood product? Is cryoprecipitate considered a blood product? Uh, is the use of uh, epigen, which is a bone marrow stimulator, uh, considered a blood product in the preoperative uh, phase? So we have this discussion, uh, and it's all about collaborating and facing uh, all forward in the same direction uh, with, at the direction the patient chooses. Uh, a similar um, uh, approach is used uh, in, the, uh, in the palliative care model in that you know, what are, what are things that we can do to help ameliorate and palliate uh, the symptoms of the patient who has opted for that treatment uh, paradigm. So this lines up very easily uh, and kind of superimposes very nicely right on top of the Newman uh, systems model. Uh, again, Betty Newman truly focused on holism in its purest sense, both the philosophical model and the biological model. It's based on stress and the reaction uh, or potential reactions to stress. And this is where it's really well suited to advanced practice nursing because we're trying to do some anticipatory um, planning and guidance. Uh, its philosophical basis is in that of wholeness, uh, wellness, client perception, uh, and uh, uh, motivation. You know, how motivated, how motivated is our patient, our learner, uh, to um, change their current situation. Uh, and the energy uh, and the environmental uh, interactions uh, needed to help the individual patient achieve success. So that's, that is why Betty Newman's models, the Newman system model lines up so very nicely with the concept of professional and interprofessional collaboration and consultation. Uh, the whole purpose of that, of, of this is to establish uh, the individual's wellness. Now, the other kind of grand theory or that, that goes along with this, uh, or well-known theory that goes along with it, is that of Madeline Leininger's, and that's the uh, cultural care model. That's really uh, very well suited to um, community care environments and uh, psych mental health nursing. Uh, and it really is all about identifying the cultural variables uh, that uh, impact uh, the patient's ability to be successful. Uh, so when we talk about these, it kind of seems like a no-brainer, right? It seems very uh, evident that obviously if we're consulting and we're collaborating 
in an ideal world, this is going to be better for the patient. And that is, I agree with that. I agree with that statement. That is true. Um, however, it's a lot more difficult uh, in this day and age and a lot more difficult uh, in reality with the individual uh, contact, patient contact, than it is in kind of a global theoretical sense. Because the patient is such a dynamic in environment, both externally and uh, internally, is that finding that individual readiness, finding that ability to engage uh, within your professional constraints also, time, uh, appointments, other patients, um, to find that link with that patient so that you can actually get everyone focused in the same direction. It's a lot like um, conducting an orchestra. Uh, and, you know, one solo violinist is not an orchestra. You need the cello, you need the violinist, you need the viola, you need the, the woodwinds, you need everyone playing to create this beautiful symphony, which is the patient. Uh, so we need to kind of work on that. Um, there is clearly a link between high-quality care and interdisciplinary care. Um, the research is there. It is qualitative research. Uh, and not so much quantitative research, which, remember, um, there's a, a difference in those definitions. Um, quantitative being something that is actually very measurable, uh, reproducible. Qualitative, which tends to be in the, um, the uh, realm of things that are less uh, easy to, to measure. Uh, and, but we all know that. The gestalt is that we all know this. We all know that if people are all pulling in the same direction, that the outcome will be better. Uh, so the real discussion and the real challenge for us as APNs is how do we overcome these barriers? And it's kind of like breaking down the silos because uh, I start my day uh, in my little world and it is my little silo and I go up and down and I do all my work and I'm not even cognizant most days what the person next to me is actually working on. Uh, whether it's um, the physical therapist or the case manager or the uh, dietitian or the respiratory therapist or the pulmonologist or the endocrinologist. They're doing their work. I'm doing my work. We're all lined up in the same playground, but our silos are just our silos. So we, we need to kind of be aware of those barriers, those, whether they're physical barriers, they're not even in our city, or um, kind of... Uh, uh, invisible barriers, meaning that their head's down doing their work, my head's down doing my work, and we don't know what the other one is doing. So that is actually a barrier. It's a barrier for us as providers. It's also a barrier uh, for the patient because in this world of needing referrals and needing consultative requests and um, uh, insurance companies that don't necessarily um, don't necessarily encourage kind of this free movement uh, laterally amongst disciplines for patients without uh, some kind of technical barriers. You need a referral for this, for example. Uh, you did not, patients are rather fearful of denials from insurance companies. Uh, uh, and um, so let's just say you see someone who hurts their shoulder in primary care and you want to order an MRI because you know that that's the best um, test that's going to get you the information that can get the, you to get that patient to the next consultation, orthopedics, for example, that's going to help them with what you suspect is a shoulder tear. Uh, the insurance companies are likely going to prescribe that you order a uh, x-ray, a shoulder x-ray, uh, prior to um, an MRI. 
uh, to rule out any sort of bone issue versus a soft tissue issue. Um, intellectually, you as a provider know that the, the right thing to do is that MRA, and you're going to end up there anyways. But if you don't follow the prescribed insurance steps, you actually are putting the patient at jeopardy uh, for being financially responsible for all the diagnostics. So an example of that would be, let's just say I saw myself in clinic. Uh, I fell a couple weeks ago, hurt my shoulder. Uh, it's not getting better. I have all the markings of a labrum tear on physical exam and history. Uh, and you know, I know as a provider, that an MRI is the right way to go. If I just go ahead and order that MRI and I... Um, give it to me, the patient who trusts the provider, uh, that, oh, this is the test I need to do, and I go and get it done. If I have not, if I as a provider am not aware of the steps uh, that that person needs to go through um, to get this approved, I've now put them at financial jeopardy for about a $2,500 test. Uh, and I'm not sure, and so that, it becomes a trust issue, right? So the the question to ask the, the patient, if they're able, is, are there any insurance concerns? Because usually, nuke med studies and CAT scans and MRIs need to be pre-authorized by insurance companies, including Medicare replacement tests, uh, so that, that we as providers need to be aware of that. Now, the responsibility ultimately lays with the patient. Think of your elderly parents. Think of people who maybe don't swim in the insurance world all the time. Uh, think from the patient perspective. Think of yourself. You know, are you always intimately aware and reactive to your own insurance vagaries? And the answer is usually no. Uh, so the fact that the patient is ultimately responsible doesn't absolve us of the responsibility for knowing their insurance or helping them navigate the insurance. And so oftentimes you'll say something like, you know, I'd like to order an MRI. Usually the insurance companies will ask for a shoulder x-ray prior to that. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, that's a relatively inexpensive test. It's going to rule out any bone uh, injury or a, at least um, give us some clue regarding bone injury. And then I'm going to start working on a prior auth because I would bet your insurance needs prior auth. And patients universally usually say something like, I don't think so, uh, and the answer to that usually is yes. So you want to make sure that your MA and your, your uh, insurance people are actually working on that. So I, it feels a little dissatisfying as a result because we want to intervene and have a treatment plan for this patient, but uh, sometimes you just need to be cognizant of the constraints you're working at. Is talk, doing a peer-to-peer -peer review considered uh, consultation and, and collaboration? Well, it's not really consultation. But a peer to peer, but it is collaboration. A peer to peer review is when you actually uh, speak with a peer at the insurance company, and in essence plead your case as to why um, the patient needs an MRI or a CT scan. In this case, you could say, you know, she fell and hurt herself, you know, in early January. The shoulder really isn't getting much better. Uh, uh, clinically, I can identify that she has point tenderness in the rotator cuff area. I'm concerned she has labral. Uh, tear. She can, does not have full uh, range of motion of her shoulder, which she did uh, in the past. Uh, and then when they say, have you done a shoulder x-ray? And you say no, because of X, Y, and Z, you are pleading the case to step, to bypass that first step. It is time consuming for the advanced practice nurse to do this, um, much as would be in the psych mental health realm to get one of the newer drugs approved. You have to document 
treatment failure or treatment neutrality prior to um, undertaking a role of the new uh, approved treatment. Uh, so that's just kind of a, a long-winded example that I want to use for that. Uh, at the end of the day, if Anne, as the advanced practice nurse here, makes the pleads the successful case for um, the patient to have an MRI that identifies a tear that gets them into see a shoulder orthopedic person and gets their soldier, ah, shoulder uh, injury remedied, it actually has streamlined uh, the process for the, the patient by using consultative and collaborative skills uh, that go along with that. Um, Uh, let's see, so um, kind of heading into the home stretch on this. Uh, the um, presentation on interprofessional care, uh, this, the group presentation, is really a very strong one. Uh, and they actually have a lot of kind of um, fun ways to kind of work into, work the concepts into the forebrain, work it into your forebrain so that we're thinking about it. Uh, it's really about um, identifying the problem for the patient, identifying the best treatment plan uh, that meets their needs. It's about delineating and um, uh, debriefing, uh, whether it's within your work group or it's within uh, the patient exam room. Uh, and if the original intended plan could not be addressed, what is the work around that? What is the the readjustment of our sales uh, so that we can still get the best outcome for the patient. Uh, it's all about intervention. And then once we um, are able to develop this, craft this plan of care for the patient, uh, we need to make sure that it's working because that part is very similar to the nursing process. You didn't just give the Tylenol for the fever. You gave the Tylenol for the fever and you're going to come back in an hour or an hour and a half to see if it worked so that if the fever is down, there's your evidence. If um, I, in the example of the shoulder uh, injury, um, if, if I pleaded my case for the MRI and the insurance company says, sorry, you still have to do the x-ray first, then my attempt at intervening in that level was unsuccessful. So then you adjust, I adjust my sales as the provider, I go back to the patient and say, you know what, um, we likely are going to end up at this MRI, but we do need to do some plain films first um, and, and explain it to the patient. Not in the terms of the, uh, the ludicrousness of um, having to do x-rays before MRIs when we know the definitive test or exposing them to radiation um, unnecessarily. Uh, not, don't explain it in that terms, but explain to them it turns out that we are going to be ruling out uh, a more organic issue other than a torn labrum uh, or a uh, injury to the rotator cuff. Uh, so it's really all about lining things up uh, for the patient in that way. Um, <clears throat> can we do uh, inter, uh, interprofessional uh, consultation or collaboration uh, amongst the uh, APN roles? Absolutely, I, it, you'll do it every day. Um, my example of my friend Lori, uh, who does primary care in HIV, uh, as a phoner friend. Uh, my friend Joanne is a CNS. She's in the CNS role, but her forte is diabetes. So when I have a question on some of the um, newer diabetic agents, she's my phoner friend. That is clear um, consultation uh, amongst the roles. 
if I had a question about a person who, or a concern, or we had a mutual patient that was undergoing to go surgery and the CRNA was actually going to be administrating it, I would consult with them to let them know what my worries were relative uh, to their surgical procedure. And they in turn could ask me what, you know, or, or share their concerns with me relative to their concerns uh, of a patient undergoing um, a surgical procedure. So there is advanced practice role interprofessional uh, consultation and collaboration, and that's that's important to remember. Uh, there is also um, APN to uh, nursing staff collaboration. Uh, there is um, uh, multidisciplinary collaboration, and that would be the multidisciplinary rounds that you see uh, in the mornings in hospitals where groups, uh, all the players, uh, come together and they travel as a pack usually and they talk about the individual patients, sometimes in the room, sometimes outside the door, sometimes in a conference room. But who's sitting at that table is usually physician representation, uh, advanced practice representation, um, nursing representation, respiratory therapy, occupational therapy, discharge planners, social workers, uh, physical therapists, occupational therapists, uh, some ad hoc members. Maybe it's nutrition. If the issue is nutrition, that would become the dietitian would come in and talk about that. Maybe it's spiritual. I mean, if they're, if they're in a spiritual crisis and uh, that is germane to the discussion, spiritual care uh, may be at these collaborative. Uh, so those are actually very good uh, examples of multidisciplinary rounds. I know we kind of think of them as mundane and uh, if you're at the bedside, perhaps an impediment uh, to your uh, smooth process of your day. But kind of check yourself and remind yourself that this is really about how the patients, um, uh, how the patient uh, um, is affected uh, by their care. So there's many roles uh, within the consultative role. Um, the presentation this week, as I alluded to, is a good one, guys. It's a, it's a very strong one. Uh, there's a lot of key concepts in there. Uh, there is uh, a lot of information um, that you will carry on and follow with you uh, through the remainder of your uh, advanced practice career, which makes it fun. I apologize for the background noise. My son's little kitty is uh, going a little crazy right now, and I'm trying to shoo him away, but he's not having that. So uh, Unit 5, looking down the road, is we're actually going to talk about uh, the APN uh, role of leadership. So we'll talk a little bit about leadership styles and roles, how this, uh, how complexity theory impacts um, leadership role, uh, how we look at the role of leadership with, within the professional organization context. There'll be a short quiz. And remember, just a reminder, these quizzes are just to validate uh, the ongoing uh, knowledge that you're acquiring. There'll be readings that go along with it. There'll be another um, presentation on the leadership competency. The um, uh, final uh, interview questions are due on March 16th. Um, the screencast on the mid-range nursing theory uh, needs to be uploaded uh, to live text. Uh, you'll get feedback on that. Along with... Uh, by the 30th, and this is just on the road, that is the live text uh, upload, uh, and as is the um, completed outline for the APR and competency paper. That's really just to help you develop um, a sense of the structure of building a uh, graduate uh, level program. 
and just so you, everyone knows, some of this may seem very simplistic to, uh, to other members within your class. For many people, this is brand new information, so we do need to make sure everyone's on the same page. Uh, you guys, if you, if you read through the uh, chat room discussions, come with such a wealth and breadth and depth of um, academic and professional uh, expertise that it's amazing. Take a look at that description. Description. If something doesn't make sense, reach out to them, reach out to me. Uh, um, happy for you guys. Uh, we are uh, sliding through week four. Uh, five and six are right around the corner. Uh, it's going to be 63 degrees this Sunday, so I encourage you to stick your face outside and get some fresh air. Don't lose yourself in this journey. Uh, stay away uh, from people who are sick. If you're sick, give yourself the grace uh, to try to rest a little bit. Wash your hands like fiends uh, because that's how you avoid almost all things influenza. Um, I did have the influenza this last week. I did get it from a great nephew that I happened to be watching, um, and he sneezed right in my face. So that delightful, adorable little Owen was also the vector for my uh, journey and descent into uh, influenza um, purgatory. <laughs> but this too shall pass. The, the sun is shining. Um, the windows will be able to be open soon. This class will end, actually. We are just careening wildly towards the end of the class. So hang in there, guys. Um, remember to till your field. You are the farmers. You know when the soil is ready. Uh, and as advanced practice nurses, you know when your patient is ready. Uh, sometimes you have to nudge them. Sometimes you have to push them. Sometimes you have to give them um, external motivation to get them there. But you do know when the patient has is reached a state of tilth uh, and is ready uh, to move forward uh, in their own care uh, and achieve mastery of their own care uh, and move forward that way. As always, guys, have a great uh, week and let me know if there's something I'm not doing to help you with this. And yep, yeah, that's it, guys. Have a great day.